Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. Luke eleven twenty nine to 32. And when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, this is an evil generation. They seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given it, but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South shall rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. We're happy to have our brother Don Pell to minister God's word to us this morning. So we're going to, re going to return going to turn the remainder of our meeting over to him at this time. Morning, everyone. This morning, I purposely asked Frankie to read that portion in Luke's gospel, chapter number 11. As you know, some incidents in scripture, particularly in the gospels, are presented more than once. There's another place where that very same incident is recorded, and it's found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 12. I'd like to have you turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, and we'll read that same incident as recorded by Matthew. Matthew 12, it begins at verse number 38. Matthew 12, beginning at verse number 38. <clears throat> And some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. <clears throat> For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. This particular incident, we find that the Lord is dealing with the scribes and Pharisees in front of a large crowd. The Jewish leaders were known for their hypocrisy. Jesus had warned them regarding their hypocrisy in two different areas of life. One is has to do with their charitable deeds. Here's what he said. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. That they, may, that they may have glory from men. Then regarding prayer, he says, 
And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Now, in order to discredit him, they ask for Jesus to perform a miracle at their beck and call. Show us a sign now. And then, perhaps, we will believe. See, the miracles were not designed for showmanship. They were not designed for entertainment. They weren't designed as a means of fundraising. They were designed to meet human needs, and in so doing, they were used to authenticate that Jesus Christ was who he said he was, the very Son of God. Nicodemus knew the difference. Remember what he said? The rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, here's the interesting thing. They ask for a sign, but if you follow the chronology in Matthew's gospel to this point, you find that Jesus performed a variety of very impressive miracles. Just like to kind of run through that. In Matthew 4, he heals a great multitude. Divers' diseases, torments, those who were possessed with devils, lunatics, the palsy, he heals them all. He cleanses the leopard, recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8. He heals a centurion's servant, recorded in the same chapter. He says to him, go your way, and as you believe, so let it be done. And his servant was healed that very same hour. He heals Peter's mother-in-law again. So he touched her hand, and the fear left her, and she arose and served. And he heals many in the evening, people who are demon-possessed. Then, of course, we've been singing about it. He calms the wind and the waves. Why are you so fearful, he says to them. He arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. I didn't ask Billy to sing that song, by the way. Then he heals two demon-possessed men. He forgives a man and heals a paralytic. Remember the man who was brought in through the roof and brought down, and the Lord, they brought him to him lying in a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. He restores the daughter of a ruler to life, recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. He heals two blind men. He heals a man who was mute, recorded in chapter 9 again. You see, these miracles were performed in the open. There was no stage. There was no sleight of hand. They were performed on people with all kinds of diseases, torments, demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, leprosy, paralysis, fever, blindness, muteness, and ability to speak. They were performed on demons, often multiples of demons. Forces of nature, we've just been singing about it, calming the stormy sea. If Jesus had given them a sign, would they have believed? What do you think? If Jesus had given them a sign, would they have believed? Well, we have a reference in proving to us that they likely would not have believed. Remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and they said that he would come back 
and talk to us, we would believe. And you know what the Lord said? If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. According to Jesus, they were an evil and adulterous generation. Now, the final sign, the final sign that they're going to get is the greatest miracle of all. You see, Jesus is really dealing here with sin, repentance, and judgment. And he uses the example of Jonah to demonstrate that. Notice what he says. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You see, Jonah's initial disobedience and the wickedness of the city of Nineveh would remind him of their sinful condition. They were all our sinners in the sight of God, even the religious rulers. Jonah ended up in the belly of the fish. Why? Because of the sin of rebellion. Jonah needed repentance because, Nineveh rather, needed repentance because of their wickedness. Remember what God said to Jonah? Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness had come up before me. So the Jews who refused Christ were no different than the people of Nineveh. Jesus called them an evil and adulterous generation. But Jonah's experience gives us a picture of death, of burial, and of resurrection. And that's the sign that they were going to have, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. The death, the, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that would be the ultimate sign, the ultimate sacrifice, his death. John the Baptist had declared, behold the Son of, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, notice how God dealt with Jonah's rebellion when he arranged for him to be swallowed by a great fish. Jonah said this to the seamen, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. God would later deal with man's rebellion when he would arrange for his son to go down in the depths of death, the devil's domain. Isaiah wrote, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Then we come to the burial. First the death, now the burial, the place of battle. Notice that Jonah fought a great battle of conscience while he was in the belly of the fish. Here's what he says. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. It reminds me of Psalm 22, doesn't it? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? A great battle would take place when Christ through death would destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So we have the death. We have the burial, and now the resurrection, victory over death. Once Jonah's rebellion had been dealt with, the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah into dry land, enabling Jonah to preach repentance to the people of Nineveh. Once man's rebellion was dealt with, God would raise up Christ in righteousness to bring men to repentance in faith 
in his finished work on the cross. Here's the way John expressed it in his gospel, chapter 3, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And to the Romans, Paul writes, for the law of the sin of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Israel is referred to in Scripture as the adulterous wife of Jehovah. To them were committed the oracles of God. They were a very specially blessed people. God said to them, For you a holy people to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of of the earth. They enjoyed a special covenant relationship with God. He was known to them by the name Jehovah. The men of Nineveh had none of those privileges, yet they repented. And because they repented, they were eligible. They were qualified to rise up in the judgment and condemn this evil and adulterous generation who refused to repent. They rejected the Messiah who dwelt among them and had already proven that he was greater than any prophet or any king. Because the queen of the south traveled from the ends of the earth to receive wisdom, she was qualified. She was eligible to, to rise up in judgment and condemn those who refused to receive the wisdom the Jews had standing right there among them. Wisdom greater than that of Solomon. They didn't need to travel anywhere. Jesus came to them. To those who now believe, he becomes our wisdom. The Corinthians, Paul writes, But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now we read a greater than Jonah is here. Notice there are two people used to compare Christ. First of all, a prophet and then a king. Jonah the prophet. Now think about this for a minute. Why among all the men in scripture did Jesus single him out as being great? I think down through scripture and I think of the great men of the Bible. I think of Abraham. I think of Moses. I think of Joshua, I think of Elijah, I think of David, but at the top of my priority list of the greatest men in Scripture, I don't think Jonah, in my view, qualifies. So what was it about Jonah? Was he greater than Abraham? Was he greater than David? Was he greater than Elijah? Well, it was the preaching. It was the preaching. Jesus referred to the preaching of Jonah. That was what was so great. You see, Jonah could have written a book on evangelism. He could have written a how-to book regarding evangelism. He preached a simple message. Went like this. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. An entire city, 120,000 persons repented. So the people of Jonah believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. 
And I've often wondered, why is it that God kept dealing with this obstinate man who went in the opposite direction? And perhaps it was that God knew that Jonah was uniquely qualified to deliver this message. He determined that Jonah would do it. How many evangelists that you could think of in years past or even today could say, I went to a city and I preached a simple message and everybody in that city repented. Billy Graham could never say that. Billy Sunday could never say that. The Wesley brothers could never say that. And yet Jonah, with the help of the Holy Spirit, obviously, was able to make that claim. So that was what so great. It was the preaching of Jonah. Jonah failed, however. And this is why there's a greater than Jonah. He failed to show compassion toward the men of Nineveh. Here's how he praised to the Lord. Ah, Lord. Was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Oh, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. What a prayer after such great success. You see, he hated those terrorists, those Assyrians. And God reprimands him. Notice what God says to Jonah. You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock. Now, the greater than Jonah said, I have compassion on the multitude. The scriptures state he was moved with compassion. Jonah's preaching was limited to one city and one lifetime. Jesus Christ has been preaching repentance for years, and millions have repented. The songwriter expressed it like this, though millions have come, there's still room for one. He came from the ivory palaces of heaven to preach repentance to sinful men on planet Earth through his own Holy Spirit. And the psalmist is blown away with that idea. What is man, he writes, that you are mindful of him, or the son of man, that you even consider paying him a visit? We read, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And he continues this very day to provide repentance to all those who will believe. Jonah is dead. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews writes, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he, unlike Jonah, always lives 
to make intercession for them. Now we come to the king. Why single out Solomon as being great? Well, with Jonah, it was the preaching. With Solomon, it was the wisdom of Solomon that the queen of Sheba came to hear. And his wisdom came from the one who is greater than Solomon. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. And you remember Solomon's reply. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? And God responds, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall be any like arise after you. God the Son, who later came to earth in humility, was there at that time, granting Solomon the very wisdom that the Queen of Sheba wanted to hear. Wisdom is the central theme of Solomon's inspired writings. You go to the book of Proverbs, and it's all about wisdom. It begins to know wisdom and instruction to perceive the words of understanding. It's a wisdom book. The recipient of wisdom must necessarily be greater than the giver. But he's not. He's less than the giver. Solomon was mortal, limited to his brief time on earth. Jesus, the Son of God, is immortal. Here's how Paul expresses it to Timothy. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Solomon's kingdom was temporary. The one who is greater than Solomon has an everlasting kingdom. Peter refers to it as the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Solomon could never read men's thoughts. Solomon could never heal disease. Solomon could never forgive sins. Solomon could never control the forces of nature. But the miracles of Jesus included every one of those things. Solomon started out well, but he finished very poorly. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. And God was angry. Having observed the life of Christ, here's what the people had to say. They were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. The officers of the chief priest declared, No man ever spake like this man. His teaching was superior to all the others. 
We read that they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The one greater than Solomon not only started out well, but he finished very well. Here's what Isaiah said about him. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlines shall wait for his law. Jesus never failed. Jonah failed. Solomon failed. Jesus never fails. The one who is greater than Jonah and Solomon, he's still here today seeking repentance. Here's what Peter has to say, and we live in an age where I think this is happening more than ever. The scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. I want to do it my way. I want to do it my way. Whatever feels good, go ahead and do it. You're your own control of your own destiny. You're your own God. You control your own thing. Believe in yourself. Do it your way. He's not going to say, where's the promise of his coming? You folks have been talking about Christ coming back to earth. It's not going to happen. For since his fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Where'd the sun come up this morning? In the east, right? So where's it going to happen tonight? Likely, unless the Lord's going to come and go to us, right? Day in, day out. Day in, just like they always do for these several thousand years. You know, according to the Friends of Israel, I remember we had a, uh, it was a video, I guess, about the second return of the Lord. Remember that? Remember what they said? And it just caught my attention. I don't know how true it is, but they seem to be pretty convinced. They said, you know, of all the sermons that are preached in evangelical churches, very few of them talk about the return of the Lord. Maybe only about 15% of all the messages and all the sermons that are given, according to the Friends of Israel, have to do with the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's what Peter says. Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day, sun comes up in the east, down in the west, is as a thousand years. Imagine that. Imagine that. One day to God is just like a thousand years. And a thousand years, just a day. How long has he been gone? How many days? Two. The Lord's not slack concerning his promise. As some count slackness. But the one greater than Solomon, the one greater than Jonah, is long-suffering toward us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Aren't you glad this morning that a greater than Jonah, the great preacher, and the one greater than Solomon, a man filled with wisdom, 
is here today among us preaching repentance for salvation. Let's pray. Father, indeed, we're thankful for the greater one, the almighty one, the immortal one, the holy one, the righteous one. He's the one. He's the greater one. Is here today and he preaches repentance through his own Holy Spirit, convicting them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. We're thankful for those who have responded to this plea of repentance that have so done so. Perhaps there are some in the sound of my voice who have not considered the greater one. And yet maybe through the Holy Spirit, he will speak to their hearts, calling repentance unto salvation. We just Pray, Father, that these uh, thoughts that have been expressed might have been a real blessing this morning. Of course, in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.